0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you here this morning. Thanks, Pauline, for reading for us. If you've got your Bibles there, don't sh- shut them. Keep them open. Um, I did think I was going to have to preach on something else this morning there for a moment, but uh, that's okay. We, we saved that one just in time. Uh, I am really focusing on chapter 7, although 7 and 8 is what we're uh, looking at. Chapter 8 kind of effectively works as a, uh, an extended illustration of what we see in chapter 7 anyway, but let me encourage you to read it and to think it over. Uh, it's very helpful. But let me pray as uh, God helps us to hear him speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, please, by your grace and mercy, open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and our willingness to respond to you this morning. We pray that you might give us uh, understanding of your word. We pray, Lord God, that we would not have hard hearts, that you would actually help us to um, uh, hear what matters, that we might actually respond to you rightly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. We're actually getting towards the end of this uh, book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes, that we've been working through. Uh, It's a book that you are very well aware of, I no doubt, makes up part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. And today, the value of wisdom is on display again. We've seen that in the kids' talk. We've seen that as we've just read it now. Um, And we've seen from the very beginning of Ecclesiastes... Uh, the question that arises from our study of this book, how do I make the most of this life that God has given me? How do I make the most of this life that God has given me? And wisdom has a significant, even if limited, part to play if we are to live well, if we are to make the most of our lives. Uh, Yes, as we've seen, life is fleeting, Uh, It comes and goes like a mist, a vapour. You find that hard to believe when you're young, but you come to see it uh, quite clearly once you get over 25, I reckon it is. Uh, And yes, life is frustrating. Uh, We're not in control like we sometimes pretend we are or wish we were. But the preacher of Ecclesiastes wants us to see that wisdom actually has an important part to play. It's certainly way better than its counterpart, Uh, folly or foolishness. But before we get into our passage, let's just kind of remind ourselves, I want to take a moment to remind ourselves of what it means to get wise. What are we talking about? Uh, Proverbs 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, outlines five things that wisdom gives. Uh, Let me just pick it up for you there. It should be up on the screen. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 1, Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I don't know if you know, notice the five things uh, that wisdom gives in these few verses. So, firstly, wisdom gives instruction. Verse two, it's, wisdom is to know instruction. Verse three, to receive instruction. Or you see the opposite of it down in verse seven there. Fools actually despise instruction, they're unwilling to learn the lessons. Uh, secondly, uh, it, it provides insight. So verse two, wisdom is to understand words of insight. So it's not just hearing something, but it's being able to uh, penetrate and perceive something rightly. The ability to read between the lines. Thirdly, uh, prudence. Verse four, wisdom gives prudence. It, it means a kind of a cool headedness or calmness to act carefully. Or fourthly, wisdom helps you to act in ways that are right. And just and fair and then fifthly in verse 4 wisdom gives you discretion the ability to act carefully and cautiously to read a situation rightly and act well in that space and you might ask well then who is wisdom for and of course the answer there in that passage is that it's given for everyone it's for the simple in verse 4 which just means the person who is unformed in this knowledge Uh, they could be 14 they could be 40 but they have yet to learn wisdom it's not too late in other words it's also for the young uh, if they are willing to learn uh, what wisdom teaches we we look at the young at times don't we and we recognize they don't really know a lot yet Um, i was going to tell a story about my son but i'll leave that out at this point in time um just because you know i'll probably get too carried away Um, And it's also, wisdom is also for the already wise. See verse 5 there? Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. So God offers wisdom to every single one of us. The question is, are we teachable? Because Proverbs 3, chapter 3, says that the one who finds wisdom is blessed. Uh, The one who has wisdom, there is great profit. That is, wisdom is the better way to live in this fleeting and frustrating world. We'll have a look at Ecclesiastes 7 now, the passage that we're in this morning. Uh, And I'm going to start have a look there at verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Or if you skip down to verse 19, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. The preacher is actually saying there, in verses 11 and 12 particularly, that wisdom is like wealth in the benefits that it brings. So it can provide security. It can protect you from some of the storms of life. It's like an inheritance passed down through the generations that enables you to live well. But it might surprise you where wisdom is found. Maybe it is worthwhile shutting those uh, windows. I know we are supposed to have some ventilation going on, but it's probably a little bit noisy right at the moment. Love our youth as we do, lacking wisdom as they are. (laughs) So it might surprise us where wisdom is found. Uh, Let's just go back to the start of chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. He says, A good name is better than precious ointment. And I think that little observation makes good sense, doesn't it? Precious ointment was very expensive in ancient times. But nonetheless, a good name, a good reputation, being able to be trusted and and honoured, was of great worth. However, the preacher takes a kind of an unexpected turn in the second part of this verse here. See what he says? And the day of death... Better than the day of birth. In fact, there are three more things that he says are better than a good name being better than precious ointment. He says in verse one, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Verse two, to go to the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. Verse three, sorrow is better than laughter. And we want to say, how on earth is that the case? I mean, the birth of a child is a happy day. It's a good day. We've just celebrated the news of two pregnancies in our church and there's a joy in the anticipation of the arrival. And in the last couple of weeks, I've done two funerals. They are not happy times. And the preacher knows that. He recognises that they're they're times of mourning. And yet look at what he says about it in verse 4. He says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or laughter. In other words, wisdom is found at a funeral, not at a party. And he explains why that's the case in the second part of verse 2 there. He says, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. The birth of a child is a day of great joy and happiness. It's wonderful. But it doesn't necessarily teach you much about life but a funeral maybe of someone we know it reminds us that one day we will you will be, i will you will be dead to this world there's a limit on life for all of us that we need to take to heart how then should you live if that's the case especially with what we've already seen in ecclesiastes that god will bring all people to judgment you know, I think uh, the Queen must have been reading Ecclesiastes recently, I believe she owns a Bible, um, because just this week at the climate summit, you might have seen it, but she urged the world leaders to remember their own mortality. I don't know if you heard her say that, but uh, that is, she wanted them to leave behind their present politics and to deal with issues that affect other people's future uh, and other generations wisely. Fools ignore the reality Of their own mortality. They'd perhaps prefer to escape reality and instead search for uh, maybe the endless good time or some other distraction to drown out reality. But but look at verses 5 and 6. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. those uh, those brambly, dry thorns that they used to use to start a fire, they would burn very, very fast, very bright, but also very short. They had no substance. If you've been to the house of mourning and contemplated your own mortality, then you're wiser than a thousand parties can make you. See, the fool crowds out his life so much that he doesn't have time to deal with with reality and the preacher is saying that the end understanding the end is where you find wisdom and so we need to come to terms with the fact that death is the destiny of every person and so for us knowing how things turn out that will govern what we do now And verses 7 to 10 actually touches on some of those things. So in verse 7, if you've got your Bible, I'm not going to read all the passages out, but verse 7, uh, we're reminded, aren't we, that wisdom is not foolproof. It will be tested by the evils in this world, by genuine oppression that comes in in many forms, by by maybe a desire for wealth or gain, a little bit like the example in the kids' talk, that cause us to forget our end and to seek wrongful gain in the present. Now, I'll never, never forget in my early working life going to a, a tax agent who coached me in how to cheat on my taxes to get more out of the government. That's the guy supposed to be working for the government I thought, but anyway. Uh, I, was, I was pretty shocked as a young guy at his brazen corruption, but I was nonetheless tempted by the extra money it would mean in my own bank account. I had to remember who to fear and to walk away to find another agent. Verse 8 speaks of the wisdom of patience over pride. Think of the person uh, learning a musical instrument. The end is so much better than the beginning, isn't it? Uh, Our world is strewn with people who are disappointed that they gave up on those music lessons that their parents paid for for them. Or maybe it's just that the proud person in their arrogance acts without thinking. That is, they fail to consider the outcome, the end of their actions. Or in verse 9, the fool is the one who quickly becomes angry. Now by contrast, remember the Bible tells us that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I mean, not all anger is wrong. There is such thing as righteous anger at wrongful oppression, for example. But hasty anger is rarely righteous. And the preacher warns us that the great danger is that anger lodges or takes up residence in the heart of fools. And it's destructive. Well finally in verse 10, wisdom is not overly nostalgic. Uh, Say not, why were the former days better than these? A mate of mine uh, told me about a quote he saw in a public toilet in Byron Bay. It said, nostalgia ain't what it used to be. See, Wisdom doesn't live in the past as if they were the glory days. I mean, Even if they were better days in the past, like the 80s were, for example. I mean, mullets were much better back then than they are now. But wisdom always lives in the reality of the present with its eyes firmly on the future, on the end of things. You cannot do much good in the present where you are needed if you continue to live in the past and forget about your end. And can I say, as someone who has attended a lot of funerals, It's at a funeral where you see the wisdom of a life lived revering God and a knowledge of the end. At Ling's funeral, uh, Ling who was a member of our church here just just two weeks ago, we heard about a woman who knew God's love, who approached death trusting God with her eternal future, who lived a life of sacrificial love for others, who cared for her quadriplegic husband by his side even throughout her own illness. Who loved and served her children in costly and generous ways. Who went out of her way to be generous and kind to others. Who gave of her finances to enable others to learn of the hope that we have in Jesus. And by contrast, at many funerals where God has not been revered, the best you hear is he loved the rabbit ducks. He always had a good joke to tell. His family meant a lot to him. He didn't mind around at the pub with his mates. He was a great sportsman in his day he was a good bloke surely god will have him in heaven see the end is where you find wisdom and it's be- it's the better way to live so wisdom is good but wisdom has limitations uh, wisdom doesn't give us control of life uh, it doesn't give us ultimate gain and it is undermined by sin and so have a look at verse 13 because it doesn't give control of life Verse 13, sorry. Yes, verse 13. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. The wisdom is precious, but it doesn't give anyone control over life. This is God's world. He is its creator, he is its ruler, he is its judge. It was a world created good. But as Ecclesiastes reminds us, our world is fallen because of human rebellion against our creator God. And so, under the judgment of God, our world is now fleeting and frustrating. There is hope. I mean, God will put everything right at the return of Jesus. But right now, all of us, wise and foolish, righteous and wicked, believer and unbeliever, we live in this world that we have no ultimate control over. And we're foolish to think that we do. Life is not a simple cause and effect scenario that you can wisely learn to control. We don't choose where we're born or who our parents will be or what characteristics we will have that will lead to some advantage or some disadvantage. Look at verse 15. In my vain life I have seen everything, there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. If if this life so in this life there isn't always a direct correlation between our behavior and the outcome of our life. Being good won't necessarily lead to good. There are good and bad times and not all of them are directly related to either wisdom or folly life is not always straight sometimes it's crooked and wisdom recognises that we aren't in control of that God does things that we aren't always able to understand he allows things to happen at least for the time being but as Ecclesiastes has already reminded us there is a judgement day coming where what is now crooked God will straighten where what is wrong will be put right. See, Judgment Day is a good thing. But for now, wisdom doesn't give us control over our lives. It also doesn't give ultimate gain. Uh, Verses 16 and 17 are at first glance a little bit strange. Uh, Let me read it. Uh, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? I mean, is the preacher just preaching moderation? Uh, Don't be too bad. Don't be too good. Uh, What's the point? Well, actually, he's still concerned about those who are seeking ultimate gain in this life. Now, it's not um, completely clear on the surface, but the word for overly uh, in those verses there is exactly the same word that we use for gain. Ecclesiastes has been constantly warned against gain and that same word is used right here. Wisdom and righteousness are good things but he doesn't want people to think that they can use them to seek gain from God. It's a a way of kind of manipulating God through righteousness to get gain. Now I remember working with another Christian guy many years ago when I worked in sales. Uh, He had begun to make a lot of money. Uh, He was a great guy and we were having a conversation together Uh, on one occasion, and he said to me, he said, you know, the reason that I reckon I'm doing so well is that God's blessing me because of my work running the Sunday school. Uh, He was doing a great job running the kids' ministry in his church. And he had come to believe that he was doing doing great in his business because he was honouring God in his church work, and God was blessing him because of it. But it was a little bit of an awkward moment for me because at the same time, I was pretty much failing in my sales career compared to him. But I was leading my church's youth group at the same time. Had I not pleased God? If I could do better youth ministry, could I get God to bless my business more? If I pray more, if I read my Bible more, will God bless me more? It's not wise to think that by wisdom, and righteousness, I can gain something from God that manipulates him and puts him in my debt. Everything from God is a gift. But lastly, a very particular limitation to wisdom is our sin. Look at verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That's fairly comprehensive, isn't it? No one is righteous, not even one. Sin affects everything and everyone. Uh, maybe verses 21 and 22 are an example of what he means here. Sin is universal. Uh, notice in that verse he's talking about people speaking behind your back. Don't get too upset. Remember, you've done exactly the same thing. Uh, certainly, you can be sure that if people will gossip with you, they will certainly gossip about you. But don't be a hypocrite. See, even the preacher in verse 23 has applied himself with his great wisdom, and yet has come up short when it comes to being righteous and without sin. In the final uh, verses here of chapter 7, the preacher acknowledges that search as he has with wisdom to understand this world fully. It's beyond every one of us. Our world is damaged by sin. Every heart is affected. So we can't fully explain everything. Wisdom is better by far, but it can't solve every problem. It can't give you the kind of control over your life that you might like. But true wisdom will help you to live life well, even in the frustrations and pains and difficulties that living in a fallen world will inevitably bring your way. And the preacher reminds us once more in chapter 8, verses 12 to 13 that true wisdom begins when we fear God, when we revere him as God, and when we remember that God will bring all evil to judgment, that his day of judgment will right every wrong that has ever happened. mean, The the problem that remains, though, of course, is that even though wisdom is precious, even though it enables, enables us to live well in reverence before God, wisdom can't fix our sin problem, can it? And God made a good world, but humanity's sin has made it frustrating, fleeting, messy, disappointing. And yet, even though the wise preacher of Ecclesiastes can help us see the problem and help us to live wisely in it, he actually can't fix the problem. Only in Jesus has God provided the solution to the problem of human sin and the judgment of God upon our world. And that's the good news that we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Have another look from the end of verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That is, Jesus is God's perfect wisdom applied to fix our sin problem. Through Jesus' own death and resurrection, he pays sin's penalty. He removes the punishment of sin for everyone who will put their trust in him. But the presence and the effects of sin are not removed in this life. And we need to remember that. We still live in the Ecclesiastes world for now. And there is, as we've seen today, a right way, a wise way, to live in this fallen world until Jesus returns. A way that will actually help us to make the most of this life. Now, you've heard us say it over and again throughout this series, So we need to revere God, fear him, and to receive the good gifts of his creation with joy and thanksgiving. And we need to use those good gifts in light of our reverence for God rather than use them to pursue ultimate gain for ourselves. See, that is the wise life. But when Jesus does return... There will be a new creation. No more sin, no more frustration, pain, sweat, death. Life is about receiving God's gifts, not making gain. So if you haven't received God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life, then let me urge you to consider that. Because that will be the wisest decision that you will ever make. And it will be the greatest gain that you ever receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you that you have created the world in such a way that we can look at it and understand it to some degree and try and be wise as we live within it. Thank you that you instruct us in wise living and call us to be wise in all of our dealings. But help us also to see Father that there are limitations. And so Father give us it's not about being morbid but give us a right view of our end so that we can understand what really matters in this world and help us to put our hope and trust in your answer to the brokenness of this world to put our hope and trust in the lord jesus christ who both saves us from sin and guarantees us of an eternal future and we ask lord god that you would do that for us in jesus name amen